Welcome to Tequila She Wrote, a podcast about <laughs> cocktails and true crime. I'm your bartender, Trish. And I'm your crime tender, Sloan. And today we're going to be doing the case of Sean Gillis. He is the New Orleans? Baton Rouge Baton cannibalist. Rouge. I was like, <laughs> it's somewhere in Louisiana. Shoot. One of those crazy hot, <laughs> humid towns. Wait. That's the whole South. <laughs> but this is a case I really don't think I've heard. I had never heard about it. I stumbled across it in some sort of roundabout way. I'm not sure. But I found it. It was interesting. And that is how you're going to end up listening to it today. But also in a little catch up, because usually we just have the same old shit to talk about. But... The last time that we recorded episodes was right before my birthday. This is the next time we're recording after my birthday. And we had a freaking blast. Yes. It, it started out just normal beach day. And we hopped spots and wound was... up another beach and stumbled upon a tortoise. Oh, well, you forgot all about Buster. I mean, So, yeah. first of all, there were these dogs everywhere, and we are very much animal people, as you know, but there were dogs everywhere. But there was this one lab that kept coming up to everybody with his little tennis ball, and he just, he would drop it at you, and then he'd bark at you until you would throw it, and he really wanted everybody to throw it into the water for him, and he was just the cutest little thing, and he was the center of attention until a motherfucking tortoise showed up. <laughs> I've never seen Logan move so fast in my life. <laughs> Logan is her roommate, like our other one of our other best friends. And she, turtles are her thing. So, like, as soon as we realized what was going on, we go, Logan. And I pull out my phone and I started recording her from the moment she saw the tortoise. Like, she got to feed it. She got to pet it. That bitch was in heaven. She even looked at, it was me and another girl's, one of our other friend's birthdays. And um, she like looked at the other girl, Savannah, and she goes, uh, I feel like today's my birthday. <laughs> this is just so special for me. Like, I just, I can't believe this is happening. And so that was really fun. There was also another instance where the bartender, one of the bartenders was wearing like <laughs> fishnet pants and a G-string and he looked great. great. <laughs> he looked great. But it was the most stunning, like drastic, like turn of events was when we left the beach. We went back to like the Airbnb we were staying at, wait for everybody to kind of meet up that we were going with to dinner. Yeah, went downtown to dinner. We went downtown, and my group got there first, so we're walking up at our meetup spot. And my husband and I are both kind of like bobbing our heads to this music that we hear. And we walk up to the restaurant, and we realize that down the alley from the restaurant that we're eating at. There is a fucking EDM festival rave <laughs> sort of situation going on. So I sat our asses outside where we could scope out the whole situation, figure out if it was something we wanted to try to attend. And so we sat outside, had a couple of drinks, ate our dinner, or lack thereof, really. And then we decided to go to the festival, and we all had the time of our lives. Like it was so good. It was just and then just extra... a random like stumbling upon thing. <laughs> and that's what made it extra special. Like we couldn't have planned it any better. Come to find out later though that there was a bigger part of the whole festival going on a few blocks away with Dead Mouse and Steve Aoki. Um, uh, but uh, whatever. We still had a good time. It was still a great time. Still a great time. 
it was all unplanned and could not have asked for more. So it was a great birthday on my end and we had a great weekend all together. One of our friends came back sunburnt as fuck. So <laughs> we did, we did leave a little early, but, uh, Thank goodness for that, because it turns out that my body felt every bit of the 31 years that I turned this weekend. As soon as we got back, I slept for like 16 hours straight. <laughs> oh, we're both not in our 20s anymore. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. But so, it's fine. We had fun. We're still recovering, but we're here. <laughs> we're doing this. <laughs> And yeah, it was a great weekend. Super happy we did it and no regrets. Yes. But with that, we will kick you off to the whole shindig that is the Hot Mess Express. Toot toot. Beep beep. <laughs> to another round of drinks with your bartender Trish and today I'm going to be doing a drink that was actually introduced to me while we were in New Orleans uh, I don't know two years ago year ago I don't know COVID kind of screws up your sense of time <laughs> I still think it's 2019 so it was when we were in New Orleans kind of before I guess COVID was real big or when they started lifting restrictions. We were there more, before they know. started lifting restrictions. Yeah, so yeah. it was about a year. It was probably last summer. All right. But yes, we were in New Orleans and we happened to stop by a bar. And Sloan was like, just give me a margarita or like tequila and something. And I was like, I don't know what I want. And the bartender goes, do you like watermelon? And I was like, I mean, yeah, sure. She goes, I'll make you a drink. If you don't like it, you won't hurt my feelings, but I think you're going to like it. I was like, okay. So she made me this salty watermelon drink, and I've been in love with it ever since. And it is literally two ingredients, and it's super easy, and you can make it, you know, as sweet as you want, or like just, I guess, a little more tangy as you want. I don't know. I'm trying to think of like what the other flavoring is it. It is, but it uses the Old Smoky Salty Watermelon Whiskey, which sounds so weird, but it's so good. So good. <laughs> so good. We sampled it in Gatlinburg, like, right before we went. So we went to Gatlinburg a year, probably, before. It was the fall of 2020. And then you and I went to New Orleans in 2021. Something like that. Because this is 2022, right? Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it uses the Old Smoky watermelon, Salty Watermelon Whiskey. And what I did was use two ounces of that. And then I use, and what the bartender used is basically like soda water or club soda. You need something along that lines. And... I just kind of did, like, to preference, we have, like, the little small can, so I used about, like, half of the small can, and then I used the other half for a second drink, <laughs> but 
I prefer it with Sprite because club soda is a bit too, uh, yeah, carbonated for me. So I I prefer this one with Sprite, but club soda is definitely like the better route if you want a truer flavor. Yes, but yes. So like I said, it's two ingredients. It's your solid watermelon whiskey, and then either like club soda, soda water, um, Sprite. I'm sure you probably try it with some other stuff too, but those are the ones that we have personally tried it with. And then you just you just kind of pour it all over ice and just enjoy. Definitely do not shake it because um, your soda is going to splash up in your face when you uncap it. <laughs> um, but yes, facts. Anything with a carbonated beverage, do not shake the carbonated beverage with it. Facts. <laughs> Yeah, just pour it over ice, enjoy. Like I said, it is a very mild drink in that, and it's one that if, it if goes you, down easy. Yeah. If you did want to make it more like watermelon flavored, you could add watermelon pucker or like you could add some uh smashed watermelon to it. Um, you could even turn this into like a mojito sort of situation by doing muddling some mint into it. This is really a very versatile drink if you think that you're not going to like it with just the club soda. There are definitely a lot of alternatives to make this a personalized cocktail. Yes. So if you like watermelon in any, in any sort of sense, I highly recommend this whiskey. I'm usually not a whiskey or bourbon person, but like it's good. 12 out of 10 do recommend that was our drink. If you want to see it, like a recipe card or even like being made, check out our Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that fun stuff. We try to stay up as I'm getting there. I'm getting <laughs> up to there. date as we possibly can. Um, we also do have our Patreon set up, which you can get bonus content. And add free episodes on. Um, if you have any cocktail suggestions or case suggestions or anything like that, we do have our email. It's all tequila she wrote across the board. So then the email is tequila she wrote at gmail.com. Yeah. We, we do have our Patreon. We're easiest to find by Patreon backslash patreon.com backslash. <laughs> That's a tongue twister right there, I guess, right now. Patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote is the easiest way to find us or just go to one of our socials. We have our link tree in most of them and it, there will have uh, there will be a direct link there. Clearly it's going to be one of those days. Uh, I'll learn yeah. English in the next part. I promise. But I'm uh, just distracted on Sheen. <laughs> Sheen. 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 I've heard it pronounced every way, so I'm going to pronounce it every way so I don't get attacked. But uh, I downloaded the app during lunch today, and I'm, like, looking at all of these possible uh, outfits that I could have worn during the rave on Saturday. And I wish that I would have had a way better outfit. But still, we enjoyed ourselves, and without further ado, we'll kick you off to the episode because I'm sure we'll ramble off during that, too. <laughs> Sean Gillis better known as the Baton Rouge Cannibalist, is one of those creeps that confuses us all, including the FBI. 
He didn't really follow a pattern. He never really had a specific MO. His victim profiles changed from elderly to prostitutes. The race was never consistent, nor was the age or class. His choice of killing swapped from choking to stabbing, and his cooling off periods were very lengthy compared to other cases. Without further ado, here's the horrific story of Sean Gillis. On June 24, 1962, Sean Vincent Gillis was welcomed into the world to his parents, Norman and Yvonne Gillis, in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. His father, Norman, struggled with mental illness and alcoholism, both of which affected his relationship with his wife and his son. In one incident, Norman held a gun to his son's head. Eventually, Norman left his family out of concern for their safety and well-being and would spend the rest of his life in and out of many mental institutions. Yvonne was left to raise and provide for Sean as a single mother. She held a steady job at a local TV station and doted on Sean every chance she had. From the outside looking in, they had a relatively normal life after Norman left. They even kept in touch with Norman's parents and had a good relationship all around. But when Sean was 10 years old, he and Yvonne moved to another neighborhood in Baton Rouge. The neighbors described him as being a bit of a bully there. Yvonne enrolled Sean in a Catholic elementary school where he attended until transferring to Redemptorist High School in 7th grade. I was looking back to make sure I pronounced that right. because That was a big word. Redemptorist, yes, high school in 7th grade. He made a few friends there, but there were two in particular that he got pretty close to. The three amigos became interested in satanic worship, and they would watch locals practice in satanic rituals, and the young boys enjoyed the thrill of it all. Other than that, they got up to the usual high school shenanigans, sneaking around, smoking weed, and other minor incidents. And when Sean was 17, Norman came back into the picture to rebuild his relationship with his son. Sean welcomed him back with open arms until he found out that his father was gay. He found, that, he found out after finding a collection of photos of naked men in various sexual positions in his dad's possessions. And this absolutely horrified Sean. His father was gay. His southern father was gay. How could he? How could he be a person with own personal preferences? How dare he? After Sean graduated from high school, he got a job at the 7-Eleven, a job that he found no enjoyment in. It wasn't the job itself, per se, but he would rather be at home in front of his brand spanking new computer looking at porn. You know, building the spank bank. He was specifically into porn depicting rape, death, and dismemberment of women. This obsession really kind of took over his life, affecting his job and other responsibilities. But with spending so much time on the computer, Sean decided to enroll in community college to work towards a computer degree slash certification. It was also around this time that Sean started racking up criminal charges, mostly minor, minor infractions such as like traffic citations, a DUI, possession of marijuana, and contempt of court charges. I feel like to people that are really, really good, they're like, that's a lot. What? But I work in the restaurant industry. 
and we got a lot of hoodlums. <laughs> one of one of my people was in jail this week. So to me, that's that's not a lot. <laughs> In 1992, Yvonne moved to Atlanta, Georgia with a new job, and whenever she tried to get Sean to move with her, because she wanted them to have, like, a fresh start, he was like, no, I want to stay behind because I want my freedom. I feel like you've been holding me back. Now's a chance for me to be an adult by myself. I'm going to stay here. But also, you're going to still pay for this house here and all of the utilities that come with it. So, really, how much of an adult are you, Sean? Right. It wasn't long after Yvonne moved that Sean started acting out in frustration. <laughs> Neighbors report that he would, like, lay in his yard howling at the moon. <laughs> he would, in the middle of the night, go outside, yell at the sky. He would curse at his mom for leaving him. And at one point, he was even caught peeping into one of his neighbor's house. It was like one of his young female teenage neighbor's windows. Oh, and when he was caught, do you want to guess what his excuse was? What? He said he was looking for his cat. Sir, do not give cat people a bad name. Well, that's what you got. So basically at this point, he's a pain in everyone's ass. And his neighbors wished he would have moved with his mom. He was already kind of weird before she left. But Yvonne moving to Atlanta was definitely kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back. You know? He was weird. And then he went from being the weirdo to the weirder, weirdo outside howling at the moon. I acknowledge that I'm a weirdo. And if I start going outside into the yard howling at the moon, please take me somewhere, get the medicine figured out. I have officially cracked at that point. You know. Two years after Yvonne moved, so like 1994-ish, Sean meets a woman named Terry Lemoyne through a mutual friend and they begin dating. On their first date, they get into an argument, and Terry slaps Sean. He immediately starts crying, and Terry apologized profusely and promised that violence would never be a part of their relationship after that moment. I didn't really envision him being a man that would cry like that, but yeah. here we are. On March 21st, 1994, Sean murdered his first victim, 81-year-old Anne Bryan. Anne lived in, a, in an exclusive retirement home. She left the door unlocked for her nurse, but Sean Gillis was the one to enter instead. He tried to rape her, but when she started screaming, he slashed her throat and then stabbed her repeatedly, nearly decapitating and disemboweling her in the process. He stabbed her a total of 47 times in the face, genitals, and breast. The next year, Sean and Terry move in together, or from what I can tell, Terry moves into his mom's house with him, <laughs> which is when she finally found out about his porn addiction and decided to ignore it. 
She claimed she didn't know what kind of porn he was into, but she was definitely aware of the frequency flyer miles going on in her home, if you get what I'm saying. Sean would even share pictures of dead women with Terry, which disgusted her, but the two maintained a good relationship. To that I say, if he's showing you pictures of dead women, and he's like acting excited about it, how can you say you didn't know what kind of porn was getting him off? Right? I digress. On January 4th, 1999, Sean Lurd, 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 do you know how, you know how if like you repeat a word so many times, it ceases to sound like it's a real word? Has that ever happened while you're looking at a word? Because <laughs> that's what's happening to me. Sean Lord. Lord. See, I feel like that would be L-O-R-E-D. Anyways, okay. Sean Lord, 29-year-old Catherine Hall, a black prostitute into his car with the promise of oral sex. He first tried to kill her with a plastic cable tie around her neck, choking her. And when Catherine tried to escape, Sean, re- Sean resorted to stabbing her 16 times to death before undressing her, mutilating and raping her body. A squirrel hunter found her nude body laying down on a road in a rural area of East Baton Rouge Parish in front of the dead in of in front of a dead end sign at the end of the road. One a squirrel hunter. <laughs> a squirrel hunter, that's a thing. So I'm glad that I found I fell down one of my little rabbit holes so I can actually explain this to you. Slash, I have family in Louisiana, so I just had to confirm what I already knew. But squirrel, yes, is a meat that a lot of people eat in Louisiana because it's easy to find and it tastes very, like, neutral. It's not gamey. It's, I I can't. squirrel. I can't speak from personal experience because in case you didn't know, like, I don't eat chicken. <laughs> so, I, you can only, Im- I don't eat deer, which most, even, I've not even deer. just my Louisiana family, but my Mississippi family gets on to me for not eating deer. I just, I can't, I've tried it. It's too gamey. I'm, I'm very picky about textures and taste yeah. and I am not diagnosed by any means, but, like, I'm definitely neurodivergent, whether it is ADHD or autistic or what. But, like, I I have a lot of issues with food and textures and taste. So, (laughs) yes. So, I'm just saying, like, while I know that I have family members that have enjoyed the delicacy of squirrel... I have never partook. I cannot tell you from personal experience. So whenever I say that, like, it, it's not gamey, it's just easy. Like, I'm just telling you why they told me I should eat it. And okay. I will not. But so, yes, squirrel hunter. And then you're, you're just out looking for these cute little creatures that are just mind their own damn business. And then you stumble across a dead body. Uh-huh. It's Louisiana. I mean, it's Louisiana. It's Louisiana. <laughs> They're their own world. Like, whenever I see people on TikTok and whatnot going after people with Cajun and Creole accents and um, 
what is the proper best way of saying like dialects that's the way of saying it like i see a lot of white creole cajun women getting crucified on tiktok because they quote unquote talk black but if you've ever been to new orleans or even worse than that because if you go to new orleans you tend to stick to the touristy spots and you you don't hear it but even better than that if you do go to baton rouge or more louisiana like bayou homey places you're going to learn that that's just the way that people speak down there. It's the way that it is. It's the way that they talk. And it's not that they're talking black. It's that they're talking Creole. They're talking Cajun. They're talk- It's their own society and their own culture. And it is absolutely beautiful. Like, I love that area of this country so much. And I wish that more people could understand it and get to know it. But whenever you think of New Orleans, you think of Bourbon Street, you know, like, I don't know. The next time you go to New Orleans, try going on a swamp tour or something like that, where you get to know people outside of the city and you'll hear that very heavy Cajun Creole accent and it's country as fuck, but I love it. Yep. Back to our story for today, I guess. On January 4th, 1999, Sean Lurd. Oh, we already did this one because we had that whole conversation. (laughs) (laughs) In May of 1999, Sean started stalking 52-year-old Harley Schmidt. Hardy was out jogging in a southern area of Baton Rouge when she caught Sean's eye, unfortunately for her. Hardy was an avid runner, and it was part of her daily life. She even participated in the Boston Marathon a couple of times. Three weeks after seeing Hardy for the first time, Sean saw her jogging again and hit her with his car, knocking her into a ditch. Sean then tied a zip tie tightly around her neck, took her into an isolated area, where he raped and killed her before placing her body in a truck and leaving leaving her there overnight. She sat there for two days until Sean dumped her body into the bayou off Highway 61 in St. James Parish, where she was discovered. On November 12th, Sean killed Joyce Williams, took her body to his home, mutilated it, and then began eating her. Like cannibalism. Not some freaky deaky shit. Cannibalism. He cut her nipples off. Ate them. I'm just going to go ahead and say you're not going to want any of our nipples in this room right now. (laughs) So, Joyce's body wasn't found until January 2000. Two-ish months later. Sean went on to kill three more people between 2000 and 2003. It's somewhat important to note here that another serial killer was on the rampage in Baton Rouge at the same time. His name is Derek Todd Lee. So the city was definitely on the edge of their seats. Authorities were a bit on edge. At first they thought just they had just one person. And then they captured 
Derek Todd Lee and the killings continued and they were like, oh, shit. Not the right guy. This is a bigger problem because Derek definitely confessed to and he was, it was confirmed that he had killed quite a few of the people on the list that the police were looking into. But then things continued and the police were like, oh, shit, we have more than one person out here doing these things. And part of the problem with them figuring out that it was more than one person is, remember, Sean doesn't really have an M.O. Yeah. And he took lengthy cooling down periods. So he would go months without killing somebody. And in the meantime, Derek was also killing people in Baton Rouge at the same time. And Derek, similarly, his M.O. was to take lengthy cooling off periods. And so it just kind of worked out where they were kind of trading off to where it looked like just one person was killing somebody every four to six weeks. Instead of the authorities being like, oh, we have somebody killing every three months or so. In January of 2000, Sean strangled 52-year-old Lillian Robinson to death before engaging in necrophilia acts with her body. I didn't want to defame sweet old Lillian. Otherwise, I would have made quite a few jokes there and made it more vulgar than it was. Yeah. So, I'm trying to be respectful here. An angler found Lillian's body a month after she was killed. A few months later, several months later, October 2000, Sean strangled 38-year-old Marilyn Nevels to death. She wasn't even known to be missing until Sean confessed to murdering her several years later. Jeez. Mm Mm-hmm. August 2002, the Baton Rouge Police Department acknowledged they had a serious problem on their hands, finally, <laughs> and they needed to do <laughs> and they needed to do something about it. As a result, they formed a task force. In October of 2003, once again, long cooling off periods, Sean Gillis crossed paths with 45-year-old Johnny Mae Williams on an unfortunate night for her. A divorced mother of three children, a drug addict, and a prostitute. She was definitely just trying to, like, make the best of her life and make ends meet. Sean and Johnny May knew each other for about ten years before this incident. Some would even say they were friends, but dare I say that Sean probably did not actually have any friends from his viewpoint, personally. I digress. Nonetheless, Sean drove Johnny May to a secluded area where he beat, raped, and strangled her and then mutilated her body with a knife. He then posed her body in various positions and photographed her. This murder was another example of how Sean defied FBI profiles because typically a serial killer does not kill someone that they actually know in real life. But Sean killed his quote-unquote friend. February 26, 2004, Sean murdered his eighth and final victim, 43-year-old Donna Johnston, who was also a prostitute. Donna was drunk when Sean picked her up, so it wasn't difficult to get her to go along, but after driving her to a location near his home, Sean looped a cable around her neck and strangled her to death. He raved her before severely mutilating her body post-mortem, 
removing her left arm. Supposedly, he used it later to masturbate with. Like, he wrapped her dead fingers. Okay. Anyways, you get the point. Yeah. I'll leave it there. He gouged out the tattoo on her right thigh and ate her severed nipples. Once again, dude, you don't want me. <laughs> there's, there's a plus side to that. Sean took 45 pictures of her deceased body before taking it to another location and dumping it. But this time, he took the time to pose Donna's body. Her body was found the next day in a drainage canal near Ben-Hur Road, south of Louisiana State University. Go Tigers! In a letter that Sean wrote to Donna's friend, he said, Your friend died quickly. She was far gone that night, and I really do think she even knew what was happening to her. She was so drunk, it only took about a minute and a half to succumb to unconsciousness and then death. Honestly, her last words were, I can't breathe. I just... How does somebody have the audacity to say... that? <laughs> Anyways... March 3rd, the task force that was established to look into the murders of Donna Johnston and two other victims of Sean Gillis's and a few other victims that they couldn't link to Derek Todley. Derek had become ap uh, bleh. Derek had been apprehended in 2003, but there were still a lot of loose ends left in the city of, of Baton Rouge. The authorities finally realized they had at least two serial killers on the loose, but they had only caught one. In April, detectives were able to determine from the dump site of Donna's body what kind of car the perpetrator drove, and the tire tracks from a unique set of tires they were able to narrow down the search significantly, significantly, which is when they were able to find the particular tire was only manufactured for a three-year period ending in 2003, and only 90 purchases of the tire had been made in the Baton Rouge area. On April 28th, investigators interviewed and got DNA swabs from a number of people who owned cars that had the specific tire mo model, including Sean Gillis. Surprise, surprise! Sean's DNA matched the DNA found on the hairs of two of his victims, and police arrested him the next day in front of his girlfriend, Terry. Sean ap apologized profusely to Terry the entire time, and later that day... During his interview, Sean confessed to his murders and his house was subsequ subs subsequently searched. They found newspaper clippings of Carrie Yoder, Derek Lee's final victim, and a computer file titled DTL. Derek Todd Lee. His initials. The computer file stored news and information about Lee's crimes. Sean told the police that he was worried that he would be quote, outdone, end quote, by Derek. In this file, the police found 40, the 45 pictures of Donna Johnson's body on his computer, pictures of her corpse in the, trunks, in the trunk of his car, the body parts he kept as souvenirs, seven saws, a hacksaw, several knives, a motherfucking machete, plastic zip ties, external hard drives, four computers, a computer scanner, photographs of Johnny May Williams' dead body, 14-inch bayonet, wooden club, six Playboy pocket playmat books, a 
and several books, both fiction and nonfiction, about serial killers. So quite the collection for some random guy that might want to try to plead innocent. So the FBI definitely got their hands on him and they interviewed Sean in May of 2004. He told the agents he was playing a game of chess with them as they investigated each and every crime scene he had committed. He said he used the news to predict his next move and to judge whether he was winning or not. Quote, I was the chess master then. You're not going to beat me. The basic, the basic interest would be, okay, did they find out? Where did they find it? What was the condition of the body? End quote. Sean told the agents how he used a combination of charm and money to lure his victims into his vehicle. Quote, the hookers loved me. I treated them like women, like ladies. End quote. <laughs> sure you did. That's why you killed them. <laughs> he said there wasn't a plan or a timetable for when or where he would murder his next victim. It all depended on when the opportunity would arise. Unfortunately for Sean, I mean, the. Unfortunately, Sean asked for an attorney during his interview with the FBI, which made the filmed admissions inadmiss inadmissible in court. One of those back loop things. Yeah. So, ugh. Sean was charged with the murders of Catherine Hall, Johnny Williams, and Donnie Johnston. His trial began on July 21st, 2008, and by July 31st, he was found guilty on all charges and sentenced to life in prison without parole. The year before, in August, he pled guilty to second-degree murder of Joyce Williams, and in February 17th of 2009, he pled guilty to the murder of Marilyn Nevels and received another life sentence. So, all of that to say, Sean Gillis definitely has gone away for life, hopefully, as long as, like, the justice system doesn't right. let us down and let him out early on parole, but he pretty much pled guilty for everything, which does lead me to, like, he could definitely get out early on good behavior. But hopefully he won't. Right. Fingers crossed. And that is my case today. That is the case of the Baton Rouge Cannibalist. Another Southern Fried Crime for you. I don't want to say that. <laughs> another Southern Crime for you. But I don't know. I, don't, I still don't have a catchphrase. We're like six months into this and we still don't have a catchphrase. Other than Hot Mess Express, which we are. Doo -doo. <laughs> but anyways. Send it off to the freaking thing. Alright. Now on to our last call after um, <laughs> that case. Uh, that was, um, I feel like he should be known as the nipple cannibalist. Right! He's something. That's pretty much the only thing he took from his victims, but Whatever. Whatever. But going off of you know, our birthday weekend celebrations, I decided I was going to do my last call on fun facts about tortoises. Logan's going to love this. <laughs> so, tortoises are turtles, but turtles aren't tortoises. Okay. So, yep. So... The two animals are related. They just aren't the same as one another. Turtles are shelled reptiles that belong to the Chinoli order. Okay. Probably said that wrong, but whatever. And on the other hand, a tortoise simply refers to a type of 
terrestrial turtle. Same family, just mm-hmm. not really. Tortoises are ancient, is fact number two. They're dinosaurs. Yep. Basically, tortoises have been roaming Earth for over 55 million years. So they old. They old, yeah. old. <laughs> I mean, they live forever. Yeah. A group of tortoises is called a creep. I was like, all right. I'm a a weirdo. It isn't common to see a creep because tortoises are solitary animals that roam around a lot. Some mothers are protective of their nests, though, so you can occasionally spot a creep if she decides to stick around. Still, she doesn't tend to her young other than, like, once they hatch. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I just thought it was funny that they're called a creep. I was like, yeah, Logan. (laughs) Like we said, they live a very long time. Tauruses can live up to 150 years. So, if you get one as a pet, you better have somebody that you're willing to pass it on to. Yeah. They live in almost all climates. If the climates are warm enough for them to breed, you are able to find tortoises on all continents except for Antarctica. I'm sure it does not get warm enough there. Probably not. Number six, they have over 60 bones in their shells. Each bone in a tortoise's shell is connected to one another. It doesn't look like it, but they're able to feel when their shells are touched because of the nerve endings in them. We pet that tortoise's neck. Yep. Which I'm gonna... He liked. He wanted it. I'm going to get there in a minute. <laughs> okay. Weather actually determines a tortoise's gender. The gender inside of a tortoise egg isn't determined right away. Weather plays a significant role in the sex of hatchlings. When it's cold, more males are born. And when it's warm, more females are born. Knowing how I like my showers, it's not shocking at all. (laughs) (laughs) True. Uh, They are incredibly slow. Um, They basically most move at only 0.2 miles per hour. They somehow travel up to four miles every day. I don't know. The one at the beach, he was he was a moving. He, he was, was an overdrive. <laughs> but then again, I think they said they live on a boat, so he's usually pretty confined. I can understand why he'd be scooting in his natural like yeah. sand and grass. He was so funny. He was like, Oh, there's people over here. Let me let me scooch up over here. Yeah, his you owners got were anything? like his owners were like, he loves being petted. He loves attention. I was like, reminds me of my dog. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Uh, Weather also changes their shell colors. So, tortoises found in hot desert climates have lighter colored shells to reflect light. And cooler climates produce dark, like darker colors that absorb more heat. Mm -hmm. You know, tortoises actually can't swim. I did not... 
So most people think because they're closely related to turtles that they can like swim, but tortoises cannot swim. They can, however, hold their breath for up to half an hour. Okay. Here we go. Number 11. They smell with their throats. Uh. A lot of reptiles, including tortoises, use their throats to smell instead of their noses. They have a some very scientific sounding name organ on the roof of their mouth and pump air through their nose and around the mouth to use it. Tauruses don't have teeth, but they can still chill. They can still chew their food. The sharp edges from their upper and lower jaws help them clamp down on food. Their tongues guide the food to the rear of their mouths for them to swallow. Number 13, they have two skeletons. Tauruses have both an exoskeleton and an endroskeleton. She goes, and it says, you may not see it from the outside, but inside the Taurus's body is a spine, collarbone, and ribs. I feel like I knew that, but it's one of those facts that just yeah leaves me. Oh, here's an interesting one. Charles Darwin and Steve Irwin once cared for the same tortoise. Darwin collected a tortoise and named her Harriet back in 1835. She eventually wound up in the Australian zoo that was founded by Irwin's parents. She didn't pass away until 2006, which was the same year that Irwin actually died too. They survive on very little. Tortoises are masters at extracting even the smallest amount of food and water from every bite of food they take. They have a hind gut system, is what it says, mm-hmm. with a double di- digestive tract that separates water from their waste um, when sources are scarce. I guess we'll do this as the last one. They're smarter than we think. There was a study conducted in 2006 that places a rat and tortoise in the same maze. The reptile came out on top by navigating its way to the food source and never returning to the same area twice. Yeah. I figured we saw a tortoise. Let's learn about a tortoise. Logan wants a freaking tortoise as a pet. (laughs) That's what she wants for her birthday this year. But I told her she better have someone in mind to give it to. And she was like, I can give it to Zach and Ella. All right. That doesn't give you that much time after <laughs> you though so we'll figure it out <laughs> you can't decide that thing until decades ahead anyways yeah but that's my little fun facts if you are liking what you hear be sure to tune in every tuesday and friday we post a new episode every tuesday friday it's always out by like midnight Leave a subscri- uh, leave a review rating wherever you're listening. Also subscribe for the subscription. Yes. And as we said at the top of the episode, we have all of our socials. We have Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. TikTok. It's all tequila she wrote across the board. If you have any case suggestions or drink recipes or liquors or beers you want us to try. 
we haven't really dove into wines yet, but I love wine. I love white wine. Let me clarify that. I love white wine. I like my red wines. <laughs> so if you have any recommendations, suggestions, things you want us to try and let us know, let us let you know what we think about it. Hit us up at our Gmail, tequila she wrote at gmail.com. We also do have Patreon set up for as little as two dollars a month. You can get bonus content and ad-free episodes. And if you do a little more, you get even more stuff. So I definitely do, worth looking out. I do a ruining paradise episode once a month where I take you to a nice destination and ruin it. <laughs> It sounds great, right? <laughs> and then I do like a haunted like episode because that's my other passion is haunted places. Yes. I'm kind of considering taking on conspiracy theories as another topic to talk about over on Patreon because I love to put on my tinfoil hat. <laughs> and while like I don't necessarily like fall for the conspiracy theories, I love to fall down the rabbit holes of conspiracy theories. Yeah. Lizard people, the Illuminati, the <laughs> Bermuda Triangle, all those things. So that's something that I've definitely been thinking about recently. So I think I'll throw that over onto Patreon as well. But easiest way to like get onto our Patreon is either by going in our bios of the other social medias and finding the link tree like yes. little thing. And it will give you a direct link to Patreon. Or you can go to Patreon backscom Yeah. Backslash. Backslash. Keep on say backsplash. Are you trying to do tile? No, I've been reading <laughs> smut. <laughs> I've been reading smut about home renovations. I'll own up to it. I don't <sighs> give a fuck. Some nice literature. Oh Jesus! I'll give you some good words to use for it while I'm here. <laughs> Trisha's turning <laughs> red. <laughs> Just dying. I'm like, oh god. Anyways, so you play go to Patreon.com backslash tequila she wrote and it should pop right up for you yes uh, like you said right. if you enjoy we need to this go. definitely it's been a long weekend for us <laughs> if you're enjoying this definitely check back whenever you hear this and check out our next episode because um hot mess express is always running over here <laughs> let us know how much of a hot mess this one was toot toot <laughs> beep beep